It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you're a part of it. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, November 22nd, 2007. It is the Thanksgiving edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad you've taken time from your holiday today to join us on the program as we talk about important spiritual matters tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. I'm in Columbia, Tennessee. My father, Greg Gwynn, is on the phone in Somerset, Kentucky. Hello, Dad. Are you there? Jacob, I hear you loud and clear. Good to be with you tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. Very good to be with you up there in Kentucky. Uh, How's the turkey up there today? Well, we didn't actually, actually didn't have turkey, but we ate plenty, I assure you. All right. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. In the studio tonight to help me with the discussion, have a couple guests now and maybe a couple more on the way. My father-in-law, Nick Law, is across the table from me tonight. Hello, Nick. Hi. How are you doing? Uh, all right. I think that you and I have talked on Thursday evenings on the Virtual Bible Study for the last two years. This is the third year in the row. Yeah. Well, it's traditional thing each year i'm able to be with you and I'm glad for that i look forward to talking if you know they have they have the parades on thanksgiving they have the football games on thanksgiving and we have nick on the virtual bible study on thanksgiving uh, that's right it's a tradition and uh <laughs> we look forward to that and uh more than the parades in fact we look forward to that and also uh, to my right tonight uh, kyle dowling is here from louisville kentucky hello kyle good evening thank you for joining us tonight Appreciate you being a part of the program. Maybe a couple more guests on the way tonight, and they'll join us here in a few minutes, hopefully. But we want to talk with you about an important subject tonight. Tomorrow is famous in America for being the biggest shopping day of the year. Black Friday, it is called. All kinds of sales. You will be bombarded with all kinds of sale material tomorrow if you have not been bombarded with it already. And Black Friday just kicks off the annual gift-giving season in which material things are of utmost concern to people in America today. And we want to talk about that on the program tonight. We want to talk about materialism and covetousness. We want to talk about that because we believe it, it poses serious threats to us spiritually. We want to get your thoughts about covetousness and materialism. We've asked this question as a poll question, and we'd like your feedback on it tonight, or any question or comment you might have about materialism and covetousness. The question is, what is the biggest temptation we face as Americans with respect to materialism and covetousness, and how can we overcome it? What is the biggest temptation that we face? Let's make it personal tonight. What is the biggest temptation that you face with regards to materialism and covetousness, and how are you working to overcome it? Let us know your thoughts tonight, toll-free at 877-381-4567, or email your questions or comments to questions at collegeview.com. We hope you'll make a, take a minute to be a part of the program tonight. This subject, Dad, is of utmost concern to us in America because we live in a prosperous country with all kinds of material blessings, and if we're not careful, our attitude towards those blessings can become an attitude that's sinful. I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, Jacob, just to emphasize 
uh, how pervasive this thing is and how involved people are without maybe even recognizing it. I I saw some of those sales circulars uh, that were in the newspaper, and there are a number of stores opening tomorrow morning as early as 4 a.m. in the morning so people can rush in and take advantage of special sale offers, get more stuff. And so it is definitely a, a problem that exists, and, 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 and just those are just some of the indicators of, of how thoroughly involved people are in the pursuit of things, material things. And as you say, it certainly poses a danger to us spiritually. Well, it does pose a danger to us spiritually, and the fact of the matter is the Bible has all kinds of instructions for us, Nick, about our relationship to our possessions, how our possessions are a hindrance to us spiritually, the Bible warns rich people repeatedly in the New Testament about being careful about their attitudes towards their riches. We don't think of ourselves as rich often, Nick, but in America, if we live in America, if we are a citizen of the United States today, we are the rich people that God was talking to there in the, in the Scriptures. That's correct. We often like to look at ourselves as maybe the under underprivileged when in reality when we look at people in the world, even the poorest of people in our country uh, have so many more uh, things than other people in the world. And, and and the other thing is the things are at our fingertips, uh, opportunity to obtain things. Even if we don't possess them yet, we see them and desire them and, and many times uh, spend our lives going after the material. The World Bank in 2004 came out with these statistics on world income. See how your income rates with the income of the world. This is, this is from 2004, a little bit outdated, but not much. In 2004, you kept classified as a low-income earner. Some of us might put ourselves in that category, but in the world standards, you were a low-income earner if you earned $430 a year. That's low income on the world standards. Middle class in the world standards, would you say you're middle class? Middle class by the world standards is $1,850 a year. And you're in the high upper class in the world standards if you make $26,490 a year. Anything over $26,000 a year, and you are in the upper class in the respect to income. And so, Dad, when we think about those rich instructions in the Bible, it's easy to pass over them and say that's talking about somebody else. But, in fact, God's talking to us there in direct terms when he's talking to the rich. That's exactly right. You know, uh, many times when I try to teach on this theme, I try to stress to people that we are the richest people who've ever lived in the history of this world. I mean, uh, and that's a pretty strong statement, but that's that's how blessed we are. I mean, there there are no other people who've ever lived in history, and there are no other people in the world living today who on average have the abundance and prosperity that we enjoy. You know, even if you were to compare ourselves to someone like, say, King Solomon. King Solomon was an incredibly wealthy individual. In fact, I'm guessing that he was potentially the richest person who ever lived in history, far richer than a Bill Gates, for instance, uh, and I'm sure there's no way to actually quantify that. But think of the thing. Here, here's King Solomon, so incredibly wealthy. But then think of the things that we possess that he didn't have. You know, central heat and air, hot and cold running water, uh, flush toilets. I mean, just in- incredible things that we possess and take absolutely for granted. Uh, many people in the world don't have those things. King Solomon himself didn't have those things that we enjoy and take for granted. We are rich people. 
for sure. And the writer of Ecclesiastes gives us a warning about that. Perhaps Solomon there. Many people think Solomon, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes. But Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, we read, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity. What the writer is telling us there is that you can be wealthy, you can be rich, and not be satisfied with it. And that is an accurate description of many in America today, Dad. We have been blessed abundantly, but we're not satisfied that with that. We want more and more. And that attitude and that wanting of more and more will be evident throughout the next coming weeks, especially tomorrow, as we make mad dashes to the store to get more and more stuff. You know, Solomon was in a unique position to be able to say, Money and the things money buys will not bring happiness. And the reason he was in that unique position was because he had all that wealth at his disposal, and yet in the long run he was not happy, he was frustrated, and he was uh, uh, discouraged uh, with the outcome of it all. And and so, here, you know, we might not be able to speak from the same level of authority that he had, but he had the authority of his own personal experience and inspiration to tell us that pursuing wealth the things that money will buy, that's not the route to true happiness. And we want to know your thoughts about that. What is the temptation you face with respect to materialism and covetousness? Put it on a personal level if you can. What is the greatest temptation you face along those lines, and how can you overcome it? 877-381-4567. That's a toll-free number for you to participate on the phones tonight or participate over email by emailing questions at collegeview.com. As we talk about covetousness, Nick, let us know what uh, what we mean there. That's a $5 word. Break it down into simpler terms for us. What are we talking about when we talk about covetousness? Well, if we look at several dictionary meanings, uh, Webster says that it's the, to have desire, to long for, especially something belonging to another person when we think about covetousness. Or uh, Crudits uh, says that it's to wish for with eagerness, usually used in the sense of a fault, though not always. We have some passages that will show we can covet good things like uh, when we read 1 Corinthians 12 and other places, covet the best gifts. But as we think of that word, we see that if we have the desire, and the thing is, is we may not obtain it, but if we just have that desire to be rich, we will fall into many hurtful lusts, as the Bible would point out. Exactly right. And then I guess the the Bible definition uh, in the book of Ephesians, um, Colossians 3 and verse 5, as well as Ephesians 5 and verse 5, it says covetousness, covetousness which is idolatry. So Many times we don't think of ourselves as being idolatrous people, but yet when we have that desire and we crave things then uh, and we put those things with an eagerness to obtain them and, and gain them and spend our life, uh, they bring heartache to us many times and, and not spirituality, of course. Exactly right. There are a hindrance to our spirituality, Dad, and we've seen it in the lives of Christians uh, over time. We've seen it in the lives of ourselves, perhaps, uh, this desire for more and more things hinders us spiritually with our service to God. I think that's right, and I think Nick has brought up an important passage there in Colossians 3, 5, when it identifies covetousness as idolatry. You know, we think of we think of people who would bow down to a graven image. In other words, that is their God. That's what they worship. Well, Paul there, by inspiration, is saying that we could make materialism, money and material possessions could become our God. We could worship that. It could, it could supplant in our lives the the place that rightfully belongs to Jehovah God. And somebody said, well, yeah, but that what's the likelihood of that? Well, it's very likely when you think about the fact that people will forsake duty to God 
in order to work more, make more money, and be able to buy more things. And and that's a very real situation. I mean, that happens all the time, even among people who would consider themselves to be conservative Christians. There is this there is this real tendency to to excuse ourselves from spiritual obligations by saying, "Well, I had to work. You know, I got to make money." And somehow people think that that's a, a legitimate excuse. I'm, I'm not convinced at all that it is. I think it's a manifestation of this problem of covetousness that we're talking about. Exactly right. What do you think about covetous tonight, covetousness tonight? Let us know at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. College, you look at the subject of covetousness. What do you see as, uh, as a temptation to Americans today? As we ask our listeners for that question, what about uh, what? What are your observations? What are some areas where you see Christians as being covetous, and maybe Americans in general being covetous, wanting more and more when we've been blessed so abundantly already? I would say one of the things that really causes it is when we look at our society, we see that most people define success as what your job is, how many possessions you have, um, what type of house, what type of car you have, things like that. So. Whenever we look at the society around us and the way that we've been raised and the way we've been, we've, the society we've grown up in, we think that we need those things. We think that to be somebody, we have to make so much money per year. We have to drive such a car per year or each year. And uh, that really can seep into um, to the life of Christians and into the church whenever we're you know, working with other people and perhaps friends of the world. We see those things, and it's easy to get that mindset that I need to have all this stuff, I need to get more, and I need to get more, because that really means something. So I would say that's probably one of the main reasons why it's a temptation to Christians, is because just being around that all the time in a society that's saturated with that, um, we can get that into our own heads, since that's what people term as success. Certainly, that is the focus of the world, and that can rub off on us, and we want that to be our focus as well, if we're not careful. We'll talk about that more when we get back from the break, but we want to hear from you. We've got an email from Wade, we've got an email from Jason in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. We've got an anonymous email, and we want to take your email or your phone call. Send your email to questions at collegeview.com, or call us on the phone toll-free at 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. I'm Joel Gwynn, a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5.16 Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up hearing God. I'm Troy Smith, and now I'm 13 years old. I'm Mike Smith. I'm Troy's dad, and we love to listen to Virtual Bible Study every Thursday night. 
Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the program tonight. We're glad you're part of it. Again, we want to hear your thoughts about covetousness and materialism on the eve of Black Friday. Tomorrow will be a day focused on the acquisition of more and more material things. What is going to be your attitude towards that tomorrow? Let us know your thoughts at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Jason in Greensburg, Pennsylvania writes in. He says, as an American, it is very easy to fall into the sins of materialism and covetousness. It is easy for us to forget why the Lord blesses us with what we have. We are to be good stewards of our possessions and money to bring glory to God. We all need to take heed of Paul's admonition in Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6. Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So Jason calls our attention to that passage we mentioned, Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6. He says, To fight the battle against covetousness, Paul gives us the answer in the same context in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, where we read, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, setting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jason says we need to keep our focus toward heaven. We need to seek things above and not things of the world. I think Jason has some excellent comments there, Nick. That is a problem when we take our eye off of heaven and off of spiritual things and we start dwelling on things here on this earth. Our focus and our affection is upon those things, and it easily leads us into covetousness and materialism. That's correct. As we have been, has been pointed out at least a couple of times already by the email and Kyle, the world around us has an influence on us, and uh, we get caught up in that. And uh, we have a desire, as as the definition of covetousness would point out, we have these desires to want things, and yet uh, what kind of things are they? And loving the world, love the Bible teaches us to love not the world, uh, because that's how sin uh, enters into the picture in our lives. And by desiring these things, the temptations that are before us, uh, they they bring us to our knees spiritually, and, and God God hates us when that happens. Many people, you know, they don't even get the riches that they are seeking after or the objects they're looking for. They just have that desire, and they're busy trying to get it. Someone has said there's two kinds of people in the world. There's those who want it and those who have it. And a lot of times we wind up desiring things beyond what we can afford, and we spend our money for that. We spend our time, our energies, and then we forget about God in these processes. Exactly right. Dad, as we think about Jason's comments, they are very accurate. And uh, exactly what we need to think about is when we focus on the things of this world and not on the things of, of God and spiritual things, then our focus and our goal in this life is not on being pleasing to God and uh, serving him, but serving ourselves and acquiring more and more of these physical possessions. Just a minute ago reminded me of First Timothy chapter 6. I think he's exactly right. You know, a lot of people might say, well, others might have this problem, not me. I, I don't have any money. You know, you, you're talking to rich people, and I don't have any. But you don't have to be a rich person to have the problem we're talking about in First Timothy chapter 6. Paul said, beginning verse 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. 
But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coated after they have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Notice there in verse 9, it doesn't say those who are rich fall into temptation. It says those that will be rich. In other words, those who want to be rich, those who have this inordinate desire for money and material possessions, they're putting themselves in a place of temptation. And it's not money itself, but it's the attitude toward it. It's the love of money that serves as the root of all kinds of evil, he says in verse 10. And so, you know, do not. we should be careful not to excuse ourselves and say, well, other people may have the problem, but I don't. My bank account is nearly zero. Well, you can, you can, you can have a zero bank account and still have the problem we're talking about here. Certainly true. Yeah, in verse six of First uh, Timothy chapter six: Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it certainly can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Certainly, the attitude we all need to be striving for in this season of material focus. We all need to be striving for contentment. Let's go to the phones now and welcome Marcus to the virtual Bible study. Hello, Marcus. Welcome to the program. How y'all doing? All right, yes. Marcus. Where are you calling us from tonight? I'm, up from, I'm calling from Louisville, Kentucky. All right, Marcus. I think I may recognize the name of some, uh, maybe some correspondence in the past with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't think we've ever talked on the phone, though. But good no, to, this is my first time calling. Good to yeah. talk with you. Uh, yeah, I think uh, in our culture, we have such a desire. So many people are... Uh, they have such a desire to become rich, uh, that's, even among religion people. Uh, that's why, like, uh, you know, pre- preachers like preachers that preach the wealth, health, and prosperity gospel, they could do so well within our culture because uh, so many people would buy their books and so many people would listen to them because uh, somehow they uh, uh, tell people how to become rich. I somehow give people a, a motivation that they need to 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 be. Uh, uh, successful, not spiritual successful, but uh, successful in the, in a secular world. And I think in our in our culture, we have so many people uh, have the desire to to just to want be to want to be rich. Uh, and 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 I think that's it's a temptation that we face in the United States. So, Marcus, you know, a preacher doesn't get very far telling people uh, that. I'll tell you how you can be close to God and be spiritual and be pleasing to God. You don't get very far with that in the world today. You got to tell people what you can do for them to make them prosperous physically. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and the, the focus is in exactly the wrong place, there, isn't it? Yeah, I, I will. I will uh, agree. I love what Solomon says. Solomon say over in I think in Proverbs, he said, "Give me neither riches, uh, not not make me poor." But he wanted to be somewhere in the center because if he was rich, he thought that he would. Obeying God, if he was poor, then it would cause him to steal. He wanted to be somewhere in the center. You know, he didn't want to be rich. Not that he wanted to be poor. He wants to just be somewhere in the center. I think it was over in Proverbs chapter 30 somewhere where Solomon said that. Sure. Uh, the, the danger of being rich is repeated over and over in the Bible, yet that seems to be the focus of so many of us today. We all can be wrapped up in that if we're not careful because our society is based upon that, going after the rat race to try and get more and more stuff. Yeah. All right, Marcus, well, appreciate you calling us tonight. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to the virtual Bible study up there in Louisville, and good to talk to you. You too. All right, thank you. 877-381-4567, toll free. You can dial that number like Marcus and talk with us on the phone tonight. 
send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. Uh, Dad, I don't know if you could hear Marcus's comments there. Uh, no, I, I didn't. I, with this hookup, I couldn't hear okay, him. Okay, you couldn't hear him. He had some excellent comments for us about uh, about uh, our attitude towards our riches and the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel that we've talked about on the virtual Bible study maybe about a month ago. Um, so certainly we need to think about those things. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We want to hear from you on the program tonight. What is a challenge that faces you or faces Americans in general with respect to materialism? Let us know your thoughts on this, the Thanksgiving edition of the Virtual Bible Study tonight. Wade in Hampshire, Tennessee, writes in, and he says, I think one of the problems we face is wanting to be more comfortable. I have noticed as my life has went by that I have sought more and more comforts. I remember as a child having to get up and turn the channel on a television. Now I can just go and grab the remote. I can just pull out my cell phone anywhere and make a call instead of having to wait until I get home to call. Sometimes I wonder if these comforts and conveniences are something that each of us covet and makes us more materialistic. Certainly appreciate Wade for his participation tonight. Dad, what would be your comments about Wade's question? Are these comforts that we enjoy... Shifting our focus away from heaven and maybe causing us to focus more on the material and covet more and more material things so that we can have more and more comforts that they afford. I would agree with Wade that that's a potential danger that we've got to be on guard against. Uh, you know, one of the things we should point out, the Bible never says it's a sin to be rich. It always points out that we've got to guard our attitude toward riches. And we were reading it a few minutes ago in First Timothy chapter 6 about the love of money and so forth. In that same chapter, down toward the end of the chapter, beginning at verse 17, 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a, tr- a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Notice here, he speaks to those who are rich. And he doesn't say you got to get rid of your riches and you got to get rid of all your conveniences. But what he does warn is don't trust in those things. Make sure you continue to trust in God. And if you have this abundance, use it. As And I think uh, the idea of stewardship has already been mentioned. Maybe Kyle suggested the word stewardship or someone else did. And the idea of stewardship is the idea that we use the blessings that we have. And here in this text, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says, verse 18, be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And so, again, I don't think it's necessarily that we have riches or that we have certain conveniences, but it's our attitude toward that. What we ought to be doing is using those things to God's honor and glory and and to serving him in the present world. Along those lines, we've got an email from an anonymous emailer tonight who is concerned about Christians' attitudes toward their material blessings and using them for good works that you mentioned there, Dad. We'll say, I'm going to save that email for after this next break because it's something that we want to talk about. But, uh, Nick, as we think about our possessions and, uh, and our focus in this life, as uh, Jason has brought our attention to and Marcus in Louisville, as we think about uh, those possessions and our focus, it's very easy for us to allow our focus to shift, and we have so many material blessings today that we enjoy just by default as being an American. Our attention, our focus, all of our energy can be wrapped up 
in those material things, caring for those material things, not necessarily even trying to get more of them, but just trying to hold on to the material things that we have, that we don't have any time to think about God and to serve him. We're all wrapped up in these material things that we enjoy as Americans. That's correct. As we, as we think about materialism, covetousness, and we think about other actually sins of attitude that they bring uh, to us, uh, Satan is able to get at us through these. I suppose Job is one of the best examples of a man who had uh, quite a bit of wealth, we see. And we see that God, is, uh, as he speaks to uh, Satan, is uh, talking about the integrity and the righteousness of Job. And Job, as a righteous man, loses all that stuff. God allows Satan to actually uh, take all of that away from him through the bands that came and raided him and, and took all of his animals. And yet we see that he was one who, whose focus was not on being high-minded and trusting in those things, but rather he continued to be faithful to God. In the Old Testament, one you know, of the th- Satan thought he could get Job to sin if he took those things away. Exactly. And you wonder how many Christians Satan would be able to effectively get to, to go away from God if he took away their possession. I, I'm afraid there'd be a lot of Christians who say, forget it, I'm out of here. Yeah, that, that's exactly the point as uh, God... Uh, gave the law of Moses over in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And why I suppose Satan is so successful with Christians today and would have been with the people of the Old Testament uh, who were not followers of God's commandments. It says in Deuteronomy 8, beginning in verse 11, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. Why do people do that? Because they're high-minded. They have their own sense of security. They don't need God. It goes a little further, and it says lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. Certainly that describes Americans today. Uh, We have houses, beautiful houses. We dwell in them, and and we feel comfortable and secure. And we don't don't realize that this world's riches is not what we're here all about. We're we're here for eternal security. (laughs) Exactly right. And God warned them, you're going into a land of abundance. You need to be careful when you get there because they're going to take your focus off of me. And that certainly could be said of Americans today. You're in a land of abundance, and those possessions will take your focus and your attention off of me and onto those physical possessions, and you won't serve me like you should. Certainly a warning we need to heed. We want to know your thoughts toll-free at 877-381-4567 or email questions at collegeu.com. We have an email from Arthur. We have an email from an anonymous listener, and we want to get to that tonight. And we have some other emails as well. We want to hear from you. Join in on the discussion now. We'll be right back after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. 
And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. I'm James Buchanan from Columbia, Tennessee, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it. We hope you'll take a minute to join in on the discussion. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. I want to get to that anonymous emailers that uh, he's got a concern here, guys. I want to get your input on it. I think it's uh, a serious concern that we need to think about. The emailer says, I have been very disappointed in the last several years regarding the covetousness and lack of love among God's people. I have found out that the biggest temptation for so many has been the desire to hold on to every penny because of a fear of losing money. And uh, we've got a problem here. Can you can you hear us there? Are you there? Jacob? Yeah, are you there? All right, we're going to try another hookup with, uh, with him in Somerset tonight. Uh, we'll get another call, another phone going here and see if we can't uh, get him on with us. Let me get back to the anonymous emailer. Uh, he says, I have been very uh, disappointed in the last several years regarding the covetousness and lack of love among God's people. I have found that one of the biggest temptations for so many has been the desire to hold on to every penny because of a fear of losing money. I have been so grieved in my heart because of the la- actions or lack of action by so many brethren who claim a love for Christ and a love for the brethren, but who refuse to help in any way when a brother or sister is crying out for help. This has extended all the way to the leadership of a local body of believers who should show a sincere care for the brethren, but who want to hold on to every nickel and every dime that they have. It seems we have become so callous and uncaring that a person would have to be so destitute and penniless before some of us would even dare to offer help. We seem to want to have someone reach the lowest point in their lives before we would lift a hand to help them. Instead of help and an embracing arm, we offer only empty promises and empty hands. Well, I know that some brethren get themselves into some quirky predicaments. The time to lecture and criticize should be reserved for later, if at all. At the present moment, the brother or sister oftentimes needs immediate financial relief to solve the problem. When a brother or sister asks for some assistance, we should do all that is in our power to help them. If they need $1,000 and we can't give that much, it doesn't mean we turn our backs on them and offer nothing. If they are really, What they are really asking is an amount from $1 to $1,000. You know that if someone is trying to raise some money, any amount helps the cause. The modern-day attitude is that if we can't help on the total amount, we will do nothing. I, like it, I liken it to a PBS pledge drive. The PBS doesn't expect every person to write a check and cover the exact amount they need. They will accept a small amount from everyone to meet their needs. It has worked like this for years. Notice this. What kind of Christian are we when we tell a brother or sister that we can't do anything at all? Doesn't this make us a liar when, in fact, we could give $5, $10, or even $20 and not be hurt by it? We should be looking for as many ways to help the brethren as we can come up with. If it means we have to cut back on buying Briar's ice cream and Nabisco cookies for a week or two, then we should do that in order for our brethren to be relieved of their financial distress. Are we looking around us to see how we can help? We should be tripping over each other to find opportunities to help in some way. It will all be appreciated. 
We should be so distraught when we cannot help somebody in the body. I have heard quite a few refer to a, to a penalty they would receive if they were, were to withdraw their money out of a particular bank or an investment account to help satisfy a need. I would ask what would be the penalty in the day of judgment if a person didn't give. Can we tell a brother to go and be warmed and filled and not provide the food, clothing, and other necessities to them? Are we so fearful and unbelieving that we think God couldn't replace any amount we gave to others? Isn't it God's money in the first place? There are some thoughts and observations that I have made over the years, signed anonymous. Certainly some things to think about there as we talk about materialism. What are your thoughts about those? Let us know at 877-381-4567 or questions at collegeview.com. Nick, what do you think about the attitude of some today when it comes to relieving the financial need of others? Well, most brethren that I come in contact with, I don't know that they would uh, turn brethren down who were destitute in need of food. Uh, But I think as has been pointed out in that email, uh, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, we certainly ought to come to their aid. Uh, we don't have to wait until they're starving, of course. I don't believe is the point here, but for us to demonstrate our faith, Jesus taught us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. The other thing is, is as we serve the Lord and we seek the kingdom first, we, we would want to help our brothers and sisters. As we see the early church, they came together. They were willing to sell their lands and, and other possessions to make sure that their brethren had the needs. In, in Acts, the fourth chapter, they they come together, they Barnabas is one that is mentioned there that is willing to sell the things that he had. So I, I would agree with the point that if, if brethren are unwilling to help, then they're not uh, following the principles that we see in the scriptures that demonstrate uh, that we have a faith that's working. It'd be a dead faith. Certainly would be, and we ought to be looking for opportunities to help. But don't you think sometimes the temptation is for us to sort of shy away from a situation where we think we might be put on the spot to help? We sort of want to maybe want to avoid that circumstance. We see that the opportunity might arise where we would be asked to help, and we might be careful to avoid that circumstance in that situation, and certainly something we need to be careful about. Yeah, as as we have people come to our door, there are other principles that uh, faithful Christians would look at, uh, you know, as to the situation of, of people that come. I think anyone who is uh, in need, we would first find out what are the what are the problems that is uh, bringing this destitute need or lack of uh, provisions in their life? Because God does provide uh, for us, and he teaches us to help other people. So we, we, in our day and time, we have to be concerned about people who are freeloaders. But among our brethren who are faithful, uh, we ought to have, a, especially in a local congregation, we ought to know one another well enough. We ought to be just like a family that we understand uh, what is uh, going on in their lives, and that means we have to be involved in their lives to a great degree. And, and certainly we ought to be willing to come to our family members' aid. Kyle? Um, one of the things I was thinking of listening to that email, and Nick's already made mention of it, was in Acts chapter 4. Um, we have the beginning of the church, and a lot of times sometimes we, we don't really relate to that church because we like to almost kind of blow it off saying, oh, well, that was the church in Jerusalem, and that was because all these people had left their homes and had gotten together and, you know, they didn't have a house to go to. They didn't have all their things and carts they brought with them with all their possessions. But there was a love for their brethren shown there. In Acts 4, it says that um, they didn't say that any of the things they possessed were their own, and they had all things in common. And you had people who had land selling their own land and giving it 
given the money um, that came from that to the apostles so that they could distribute it to those who have needs. So there was a great love shown for the brethren there. And I think as Nick's already mentioned as well, the uh, family of Christ, when I think we had, I had mentioned this in a conversation earlier today, but when Jesus said about his own physical family outside the door, he said his brothers, sisters, and mothers are those who do the will of those who are his father in heaven. And I think if we really viewed one another that way, if we viewed one another as our brother and our sister, as someone who we've grown up with and have things in common with and who we love, then we would have more concern for them, be more interested in the things that are going on in their lives, and be more interested in how we can help them, whether it be physically or spiritually. All right. The number to call is 877-381-4567-questions at collegeview.com. Are you there in Somerset, Kentucky now, Dan? Yeah, I've got you back. All right. Hey, uh, you know, as we talk about uh, this email, you missed the anonymous email, but uh, w- the email was about helping those who are in need. When we think about what the Bible says about helping those who are in need, repeatedly the Bible tells us that if we won't help those who are in need, we're going to be held accountable on the day of judgment. You know, we look at the parable of the talents. The person who uh, was the uh, unwise the steward, he hid his, gr- his talent in the dirt. He basically didn't use his talent to earn more for the master certainly would parallel the person today who puts his money into the bank and will not use it when the need arises to serve God and to serve others. And uh, as that servant was held accountable, certainly will be held accountable as well. Are are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Uh, I think you're exactly right. I think... And I'm glad this topic was brought up in the discussion of our attitude toward our money because I'm, I'm concerned that as Christians, uh, in this prosperous time that we live in, we are not as benevolently minded as we ought to be. I, I certainly concur with Nick's comments that we've got, to, we've got many factors to take into account. We've got to be careful about those who would be freeloaders who would take advantage of a situation. But on the other hand, We've also got to be a benevolently minded people. It's clear that the Lord intends for us to be. You know, in First Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight, the Apostle Paul commended the churches of Macedonia. He was in the process of taking up a contribution to be carried back to needy saints in Jerusalem, and he commended the churches of Macedonia. He says uh, in chapter eight, verse two, Second Corinthians eight, verse of affliction, the abundance of their joy, and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying with us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So here were some people, Paul even mentions that they themselves were in deep poverty, but they begged Paul to be able to participate in, in this situation in which he was taking up funds to go and help a benevolent situation in Jerusalem. And so they, they stand as a great example to us. You know, they, in poverty, they wanted to be helpful to their brethren. Certainly, as Christians today who enjoy so many blessings, we need to be benevolently minded. And I think, it's a, I think it is an important thing to bring into the discussion when we're talking about covetousness, materialism, our attitude toward wealth. Let us know your thoughts. We want to hear from you. 877-381-4567 or questions at collegeview.com. As we talk about covetousness tonight, we have an email from Al in Ocala, Florida. Another email from Jason in Pennsylvania. Arthur in Cullioca. And we want to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. As we talk about this important subject of materialism and covetousness, 
listen to this statistic. According to a 2006 Consumer Reports survey, 23% of Americans will not pay off their holiday debts until March. During the holidays, $63.6 billion will be charged on credit cards. $63.6 billion. Do you think we have a problem with materialism and covetousness in our society today? Let us know your thoughts as we talk about materialism and covetousness on the program tonight. Black Thursday or Black Friday is tomorrow. Materialism is the focus of the world for the next several weeks. What are your thoughts and how are you going to prevent that sin? Let us know your thoughts. We'll be right back after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931 381 Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. Hello, my name is Preston Jackson. I'm from Valdosta, Georgia, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday night. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're part of it as we talk about materialism and covetousness on the program tonight. $63.6 billion will be charged on credit cards. It doesn't include the cash. It's the credit cards, the debt that people are going in to purchase more and more material possessions. Certainly a problem for America today and probably a problem for many Christians Al in Ocala, Florida, sends in this email tonight. He says, this is a most serious subject. While 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 clearly teaches that local congregations of the Lord's church are not to keep company with anyone who is named a brother who is covetous. Al says, I have never known anyone to be disfellowshipped over this charge. Are we so naive to believe that no saint in our age is guilty of this charge? The fact is, divine inspiration says, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. There's the standard. As you've indicated already tonight, luxuries, such as this very medium of communication, seem to have, have to become necessities. And so, Al, thank you for your comments tonight. Dad, the passage that Al mentions there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, shows us the seriousness of this sin of covetousness, it's a sin that uh, has to be avoided at all costs. Exactly. I, I, in addressing his point about why have we never known anyone to be disciplined by a local congregation over covetousness, um, perhaps that's because it's a hard thing to necessarily quantify. I, I, th- this is the kind of thing that we've got to be honest about in our own hearts, but I can't read your heart, you can't read mine. You, you, now, in extreme cases, it may become evident that I have this problem of covetousness, but it'll probably be shown in other things like failure to attend worship assemblies because I'm doing other things, or, or maybe I maybe I embezzle money or steal something. I, I think some other 
quantifiable sin will probably become evident that might lead to discipline. It's hard to discipline. Uh, it's hard for the church to take action in discipline when it's a matter of the heart because we can't see into a person's heart. Yeah, but, but let, it, me, let me ask you this, though. Do you believe there will be Christians in hell because of Yeah, I know there will because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Definitely those who are covetous are listed. You know, it's kind of interesting. This sin is listed right in there with drunkards, uh, with thieves, with homosexuals, with adulterers. Covetousness is going to keep people out of heaven. You know, we hear sermons about fornication, about homosexuality. We're not hearing a lot of sermons about covetousness, though, Nick. Why do you think uh, that is? Because this is a serious sin, and it is a sin that is of great temptation to us in America. Don't you think we need to be focusing on our attitude towards our possessions? Uh Yes, I, I suppose one reason sometimes is preachers and others have about the same problem with, with this type of thing as other members of the church. And uh, so uh, if, if we're having that kind of problem, many times we may not preach on those things. Okay. Right. But, it, but it, back to the point of, you know, sometimes it is hard because it is a sin of disposition of the heart, and it has to be played out in the open. Here are some examples in the Old Testament, I believe, that get at the heart of some people who were covetous. It, what about Achan? And he coveted that Babylonian garment and a, and a wedge of gold. But how did they find out? They went to war and a lot of people were killed. And it is God's help revealing what took place. And he owns up to that fact in the end. But they did not know about that. David sinned with Bathsheba is coveting another man's wife. And look at all the cover-up that was done. But yet covetousness was a part of the disposition of David that caused that sin to come to fruition. Look at all the problems that caused for him, and look at all the problems it's causing for people today in their lives spiritually because of covetousness. Let's go back to our emails. Jason in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, has emailed again with an excellent comment. You know, we talked a few minutes ago about uh, Job, uh, Nick, where Job wanted God to take away the physical possessions that he had uh, blessed Job with because he thought if he could take away those physical possessions he would be able to cause Job to sin. Jason writes in and says, I think if Satan would be able to go to God to have us tested as he did with Job, he would just ask to give us all more money. Satan probably knows having more money would probably be worse for our souls than losing everything we have. And certainly an interesting comment from Jason tonight. Uh, we potentially could all be tempted greatly if we had more money. That, that's right, and unless we will be like the righteous man, Job, and, and that is so interesting. You know, many times when you're having the problems like Job had, people come to you with their advice. You notice Job defends himself against his friends and their application of what they're charging Job with because Job is righteous and upright because God said to Satan he was. But in the end, that very thing, because he was righteous, he could be given back more wealth than what he had in the beginning. And that's what would happen to us, the, the anonymous emailer. If we as Christians really are, are looking at, at the family of God and the people that we're familiar with and we see they're hurt and, and our faith is alive and we're righteous individuals, we will help that individual. 
uh, with the, the needs and, and necessities of life that they. Yeah, you think about the anonymous emailer tonight and about uh, our attitude towards helping other people. Do we look at uh, at our possessions and say, I would like to have more so that I could do more to help other people? Or do we think, I'd like to have more because there's something else I'd like to get? There's there's that that other toy that I'd like to have. If I could just get a raise at work, well, I could have enough money to do that. That's correct. That's, I'm afraid. Yeah, yes. I don't know if while I was uh, offline, if you all talked about the foolish rich farmer in Luke chapter 12. We didn't. We were waiting for you to bring up that. <laughs> well, that's certain, that, that passage certainly needs to be thrown in the mix. Jesus, I think one of the plainest and most direct statements about covetousness ever made in the Scriptures, Jesus said in Luke 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesses. Now, that clearly speaks to this subject. In other words, you don't measure your life by the amount of material things you have. That's what Jesus warned. And then he told the parable of the rich, foolish farmer. He said, the, the ground of a certain rich man, this immediately follows, he says, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods, laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Right there at the end, that's the problem with materialism, is we're laying up treasures for ourselves, and we're not being rich in, in service to God. Uh, that, uh, that, again, goes to what we've been saying all throughout the program, is we've got to be on guard about our attitude toward the things that we possess. We're going to have possessions. Everybody's got something. There are very few people in this world who don't have anything at all. And our attitude toward our possessions, about the ones we already have and the ones we might desire, that's what's going to get us in trouble if we're not careful. All right. Jason goes on in his email. He points us to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, an excellent passage as we think about our physical possessions and our attitude towards them tonight. In Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, he's, uh, the Hebrew writer writes, These all died in faith, talking about the faithful there in Hebrews 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were assured of them, embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called into mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Jason says, just as Abraham and all the faithful of the Old Testament... We need to live daily like we are on our way home. We are pilgrims on the earth. We need to live as citizens of the kingdom. And if we had that attitude, Dad, in our lives daily, as Jason encourages there, as the Hebrew writer encourages in Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, if we had that attitude that we were here temporarily and we weren't citizens of this world, but we were citizens of a heavenly country, certainly we would change our attitude towards our material possessions. I think that's right, and we need to constantly work on developing more and more of that disposition. We're just passing through, and this is not permanent. Everything we see, everything that we can touch and feel and hold in our hands, that's just temporary. And uh, we're making a terrible trade-off if we trade uh, the eternal for the temporary. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8, verses 36 and 37, uh, where he warned about you know, having a wrong sense of perspective, he said, uh, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world 
and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Uh, if, if it were possible to accumulate absolutely every bit of wealth that exists in the world, of course, no one's ever been able to achieve that, but let's say you could, if you were going to uh, attain that level of wealth at the loss of your soul, you'd be making a bad trade. Exactly right. So we appreciate Jason for his comments tonight. 877-381-4567 is the number to call. We can take your call if you'll hurry now and get on the phone or give us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Looking forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. Arthur in Kalioka has sent in a couple verses for us to consider. The first is James chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Kyle, read that for us. You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What about that passage uh, there in James chapter 4, Nick? What is the desire of the person with respect to this material possessions that they desired? We see the, the covetous and materialistic attitude that they were looking for those possessions for their own desire. That's right. Uh, they, they lust and do not have. That, that's what we pointed out in the very beginning. People desire, they want it, and, and they are not able to get it. And as we're pointing out, the way to correct that is change your mind about that. All Get right. Your heart right. Exactly right. Arthur asked the question. I'll ask you guys this, and i ask you as well, Dad. He asked, was Abraham condemned because of his wealth? In Genesis 13, verse 2, Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. Arthur's question tonight, was Abraham condemned because of his wealth? What would you say about that? I, I would answer no. And I, I think we've tried to make that point a couple of times. I appreciate Arthur bringing that out again, but... Uh, I do not see anywhere in the Scripture where people were condemned for having wealth. Always we see the condemnation being concerning their attitude toward it and how they were or were not willing to use it for the things God wanted them to do with their wealth. Exactly right. Arthur also references the rich man of Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea. He said, It says in Matthew 27, verse 57, that he was a rich man. Uh, certainly those riches weren't uh, necessarily causing him to live in a way that wasn't pleasing to God, but... Without a doubt, we can make this categorical and blanket statement, Dad, that riches are a temptation to every person. Uh, that is how Satan, uh, one way that Satan tempts us is with our possession and our riches. Exactly right. And, and just repeating what we've already said on the program, and that is that since we are the most prosperous people who've ever lived in the history of the world, then the warnings about covetousness and materialism are more pertinent to us than to anybody who's ever lived before. All right. We've got to take it to heart. Exactly right. All right. We have an email uh, from a listener in Indianapolis, Indiana, wanting to know uh, if we are wanting uh, some clarification here on something we said. He says this Friday will be the biggest sale day of the year. A lot of people will buy on this day because of the savings they will get. Does this mean they are greedy or are they wise users of their money? Most people I know will not go into debt this time of year, but control what they spend. So if we go shopping tomorrow, Dad, are we greedy, covetous, materialistic people? No, and I, I don't think anybody, I, I hope no one would take what we said that way. In other words, if you go out of the house tomorrow and go in a store and spend a dollar, we're not saying that that's necessarily the indication of a covetous spirit. But we are saying that our culture is given over to materialism. There's no doubt about that. And Black Friday is, is a manifestation of the materialistic attitude 
that exists in our culture, and I don't think anybody can deny that either. People will be getting up tomorrow at 5.30 in the morning to go stand in line for that good deal, but they won't be able to get out of bed on Sunday morning to come to worship service. That would be the attitude that would be condemned by the Scriptures, Nick, that attitude of putting material things ahead of the service of God, and that's the attitude that we all have to be careful about. That's correct. The insensitive need of others, as we've talked about, and the the fact that we allow the material to overpower us where we do not do the things that God has commanded us. Using the material in a, in a right way is acceptable to God, as, as has been pointed out through Job, as we point out through Abraham and others. That's exactly right. We've got to be careful about our attitude towards our material possessions, Dad, because our attitude can be condemning of us. We can spend an eternity in hell for having the wrong attitude towards the material possessions that we enjoy. We've got to make sure that we are careful on a daily basis to keep our attitude in check. Exactly right. It's a challenge. It's a, it's a clear challenge to us. we got to be working on it. Thank you for joining us up there in Somerset, Kentucky tonight. Enjoyed it. Jacob? Yes. Do you ever find it interesting that there's never a U-Haul in a funeral possession? Uh, I do. I do. That's my grandfather up there in Somerset, Kentucky. Grandpa, I appreciate that. That's true. Uh, it won't be long until all of us will have no physical possessions, and it won't matter at all what we enjoy. All right. We appreciate those comments from Somerset, Kentucky tonight, and appreciate you, Kyle, for joining us on the program. Thank you. And, Nick, thank you for your comments. Good being with you. For the third year in a row. Yeah. We'll make it, let's, look, let's make it four next year, hopefully, Lord hopefully. willing. Hopefully. That's right. We appreciate you joining us on the program tonight, and we hope that you've benefited from the things that we've said from God's Word. If you have any questions about the things that we've discussed on the program tonight, call us anytime at 877-381-4567 or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We look forward to hearing from you. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.